<sighs> you know, you'd think I'd have some opinions about Connecticut by now, but it's a real, it's a real <laughs> nowhere of a place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of places are nowhere of places. Yeah, that's the trouble with places. They aren't. Oh boy, it's Encyclopedia Brunch. My name is Tim Dobbs, and with me, as ever, through the internet, we're so glad she's here, it's Catherine Kogert. Uh, oh, me? Oh, hey, it's great to be here. Let the listener note that Catherine did look around, just to double check. <laughs> just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I didn't want to presume anything. Right, there could be, there could be so many uh, possible co-hosts. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what they say about Encyclopedia Brunch. Ra- Land of a thousand co-hosts. <laughs> yeah, na 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 Catherine reigns supreme. Na 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 da da da. The Land of a Thousand Dances? Yeah, Land of a Thousand Co-hosts, except that you reign supreme. Oh, uh, I get you, I get mm-hmm. you, I get you. You know what's great? What's great? Fern Gully, the movie. Is it? I'm still. I'm, I still have some residual fear from being a child and watching that crazy tar monster. Yeah, hundred percent. He's amazing. Played by oh, what's his name? Probably Tim Curry. I, 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 Tim Curry, definitely Tim Curry. <laughs> so that was a total guess, but it's not that surprising. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you, Tim Curry, for being the the stuff of ni- my childhood nightmares. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, that Fern Gully, and then in uh, Legend, um, where he was that crazy devil. Oh my god, a crazy devil. You know, I've never seen Legend. I was close to watching it once and then and then I got into a fight with someone. Oh. Yeah. That's happened <laughs> That's to me too. Bad, right? Do you have that I, I have Aww. this there's there are a few movies um that corresponded with like uh, uh gross personal conflict that like I'm like, well, I'll probably never watch that. I hear it's really good, oh, but it's too bad. Mm, yeah. What can you do? Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Uh so the time I saw <sighs> so Legend. We'll never watch <laughs> the great bikini off-road adventure. But Willie Tulsalt. <laughs> uh, okay, go ahead and put a, a link to um, the Flophouse in notes. If it hasn't been noted oh, already, obvious. Catherine and I are huge fans of the podcast, The Flophouse. Uh, so listen to that. If for some reason you listen to this and not that, which is crazy because they're really good. Um, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. If there's what, if literally, if there's one podcast I recommend that someone listen to, it's not this podcast. It's the Flophouse. What do you do? I mean, since we're since we're leisurely getting to our topic as it is, um, what yeah. what do you do in the case of someone asks you like, oh, you listen to podcasts? Like, what's what's like a favorite podcast? What's your response to that? Uh, I ask them what 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 they're into. Mm. <laughs> You turn it I around on them. Get a genre out of them. I gotta get a genre. It's, uh, you know what? You get you talk to so many people who listen to podcasts for like the educational value, and <laughs> given how much time I spend distracting you and keeping us from getting to our topic, maybe listeners will have a sense for like how <laughs> how I approach my podcast digest. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's good that you stay on theme. <laughs> That's smart. That's good. So it's good conversational judo. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. That's me. Um, but I don't. I don't want to be recommending like comedy bang bang to someone who just only wants to listen to Radio Lab and Science mm. Fridays and oh, Speaking Microbiology. Friday. It's good, good, good podcasts. All of those. Uh, 
of, yeah. of course, of drastically different genre. Um, what I do is I tend to tell people, since you asked, I tend to tell people, well, for like a serious podcast, I go with the Memory Palace because I really think the Memory Palace is excellent. But also it's like it's, it, it has credentials. It's very uh, there's twinkling music in the background. You know, it makes you think yeah. about humanity. <laughs> twinkling music credentials. That's all it takes. Fair. Frankly, that's all we're missing. I mean, like, if we just had some twinkly music, I think we'd be all set. Oh, that would be so easy. I, I assume. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. Probably... We do have that jazzy elevator theme. That's true. We have that. Um, let's I'm see. sorry. This is getting a little bit inside baseball. Tim? Uh, can we get, like, okay. Oh. So I was thinking. Oh, this is horrible. In the... <laughs> Doom to Fail podcast. <laughs> oh, wait, we're not even called that anymore. I'm not saying you're not a great musician. I'm saying that the multitasking, I don't know. And we'll be right back. This horrible. On uh, Encyclopedia Brunch. Oh, I'm, I'm not coming back. And we're back on Encyclopedia Brunch with no more time to waste. Talking. No, I'm not coming back. Oh, Catherine, come back. I promise. It'll be better this time. You promise? It'll be more real. Okay. Okay. No more goofing around. What are we doing? Uh, we're talking about libraries. This very week on Encyclopedia Brunch, discussing libraries. Those uh, fun and friendly places where there are books. We've got to my favorite part of the segment. <laughs> Tim describes our topic in a sentence. I want you to know that I never prepare those. Those come from the heart. No, they're straight. They're off the dome. Um, what was the last library you were inside of? Oh, great question. Oh, recently I was in that Capitol Hill library. That old gem, that old chestnut, the Capitol Hill library. Oh, what's that like? Tell me about it. Um, it, it was beautiful and amazing um, and really well lit. The outside, it's like very modern. There's a lot of glass. I hate to say it, but there is. Because it's Seattle. Um, and <laughs> Yeah. There were a lot of like climbing vines and ivy. Like there was a, a living wall on the outside and it was also inside. What? It like went all the way around. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, and the feature that really impressed me was um, there was like a light sensor connected to blinds. So if too much light started to get in, it automatically shut them. And without even realizing it, I was sitting there working on my computer and I noticed that I didn't even notice that I had started to squint, but without even really just like the light sensor went off and the blinds fixed. I'm like, oh, that's so much better. I didn't even. Mm, oh, thank nice. you. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty slick. That's almost like a transition lenses, but for windows. <laughs> and. and a little bit more fashionable oh boy transition lenses come on people with your transition lenses just come on. i'm sorry it's practical but there's, you know what doesn't look great mm. uh so that's a really good um it's a really good example of library so notice that you didn't really talk about anything in the library you were just like the architecture no resources so yeah, yeah so it's a really good example of library as a public institution um, and sort of landmark, I think so. which is a role that libraries play. 
So in, in the broadest sense of what a library is, uh, it's sort of just a, a place where we keep access to information. Um, and this sort of goes back to Sumerian times, uh, wherein a library was basically a place where they stuck all the cuneiform clay tablets that tracked all the sort of commercial transactions and uh, government business. You know, like, hey, we moved a bunch of sheep over there or something. And so what really struck me as interesting about that was that that actually the fact that they started keeping libraries where they kept all their information in one place, that demarcates the change from prehistory to history. Because before that, yeah, maybe someone wrote something down or whatever, but like it wasn't in a really easily accessible place. So those libraries are still doing good for us today. (laughs) Kind of great. Yeah, yeah, that is that makes a lot of sense. I didn't even think about that. Huh. This is actually kind of a keystone project that we're doing here. I mean, not like Keystone Pipeline, but you know what I mean? Um, let's not get political on this just yet. Uh, no, what do you mean? <laughs> I know we usually get really political, but for once, let's just stay out of it. <laughs> what do you mean it's a Keystone project? Uh, a topic, rather. Like a Keystone. Like this is kind of a, a linchpin of a topic that we're doing today. What are you talking about? Oh, what am I talking about? Perhaps I, I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> I, I guess I mean, like, if you're saying that the library is the or the invention of the library is a thing with which history turns into history, mm-hmm. that's that's a big topic. Absolutely, this is a huge topic, and we probably won't do it justice in this episode, which is why we've Did made we ever room do anything justice for thirty more episodes on libraries. 2016, Great. the year of libraries on Encyclopedia Brunch. Um. <laughs> No, well, so that's what I think. I think makes it so uh, so important to, yeah. I guess, I guess just civilization in a sense is that it, it is there is a lot of information out there, but until it is collected, we're not really good at it as human beings at like mm-hmm. actually doing anything with it. Yeah. So you know, it seems like. It's interesting. It seems like every, I don't know, maybe like every thousand years or something, we have a realization that information is actually really important (laughs) as a civilization. And there's like an invention that goes along with that. Like, for example, invention of libraries. And then let's say invention of printing press happens around 1000. I thought it was like 1500. I some it's sometime between eleven and fifteen hundred. Uh, you know, you know my theory that uh, the years eleven hundred to fifteen hundred didn't exist. So, what we talked about this on a previous episode. There, there is a theory out there that those years were didn't exist, and it's a fluke of bad calendar keeping. It's probably not oh, true. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think you yelled at me and said that history is not your own headcanon, and I shot back that, um, you know what, in a lot of ways it is. And then you (laughs) said that's how we get Holocaust deniers, and then I conceded the point. I remember this conversation now. Uh, Okay, I remember accusing you of introducing Holocaust deniers into the world. Okay, yeah. Well, even if we didn't remember, it already has been logged in the great library that is encyclopediabrunch.com for all of your encyclopedia brunch needs um the printing press invented around 1440 by johannes gutenberg hey i was right in some ways (laughs) between 11 and 1500 um 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think what the really interesting stretch then is to what we have now, which is the internet, um, where most of our resources come from, right? Our our, yeah, our, our water, our about, our um, love, our um, social interaction. Our certainly, our love and social interaction. Desperation I'm not for attention. To anybody in the real world? Are you? I'm not. Nope. But uh, <laughs> uh, hmm. I guess the other the other real invention I'm thinking of here is the the beginning of data science. And it's just something that's in my head a lot lately since I've been spending a lot more time with data scientists. Sure. But like the idea that let's we have the capacity to collect an unrealistic amount of data for any one human to look mm. at. So let's come up with tools to analyze that data. When do you... And that information is really important. Could, could, when you say the invention of data science, like what time frame is that? Is that like the past 10 years or is that like past 100 years? Or Yeah, I would say like the past... 15 10 years when did neural network show up neural kind network showed there. up in the 80s and then they got uh out of vogue because oh, wow. there was not the computational processing for them and right. then they got okay. back in vogue in the past few years okay yeah see our episode That's on artificial good. neural networks really glad we did that episode guys i know i know it sounds boring but really check it out you know normally i don't i don't really pay attention to our thoughtful episodes but that one was good when people when people ask you what episode of what podcast do you listen to you you be like well i listen to the dumb episodes of encyclopedia brunch <laughs> uh if only if only we knew ahead of time which ones would be dumb well in a, another attempt to keep this from being a dumb episode um no it's great uh yeah i think so it's it's interesting so the way that we've dealt with i mean so the history of libraries is it's sort of two parallel histories at once and um uh we can talk about both of them but one history is the the archiving of information and that's what library scientists and data scientists actually study is like okay what is the best way to collect what is clearly too much information in the world for our, our silly little human brains that are focused on, you know, single things. Uh, what is the best way to take all of that information and turn it into something meaningful to us? At the same time, there is a second use of libraries, which is that they demonstrate intellectualism and value in public life. And we will talk about both of those when we come back in a moment on Encyclopedia Brunch. on Encyclopedia Brunch, the brunchest of encyclopedias. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we'll workshop not it. wrong, but <laughs> okay. Okay, so we start with uh, originally libraries are forming basically as a way for a government to keep track of like, uh, basically what's going on. They, they wrote a lot of records down. They had to put it somewhere. And we called that room where we put it a library. Okay. When we jump to Roman times, it sort of becomes this trend of... Uh, different Roman emperors opening grander and grander libraries as a way to like show off their wealth and show off their prestige. 
And then they want to be better than the previous emperor because, you know, like, eh, that guy. Forget him. Sure, the old classic. Oh, my goodness. I wish there was a name for this phenomenon. But it's like where, oh, the old guy was horrible because this new guy is shiny and new and he's doing X thing better than the old guy. And it keeps us from noticing that he's doing Y through Z things. That's <laughs> only two things. <laughs> A through W things, much worse. That's why you, that's why you jump on the uh, the Greek alphabet. Why <laughs> through Omega things? <laughs> I should have. Uh, what can one do? Now I know. Um, um. So what's? I wish there were a name for that. <laughs> anyway, go uh, on. I thought you named it pretty well. The old uh, A through W problem. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Not to be confused with the A&W problem, which is I got sick at that A&W. Don't go there. Oh, that A&W problem. I've got a real A&W problem. You know what I mean? Patting my tummy right now. Foley noises. Pat noises. <laughs> this is getting more and more abstract. Um, <laughs> so uh, what happens then is that uh, as these Roman emperors try to sort of one-up things, it becomes important for it to be a public institution, right? Because it needs to be shown off to people. Um, and so, in a lot of ways, these are the first Western public libraries because they're open to people. You, it's not a private library wherein, say, only the government can go in or only scholars can go in. Um, so the Library of Alexandria, which is a very famous library, in many ways because it was burned down and we lost everything that was in it, which is, like, really sad. Um that was associated with, I think, the Museum of Alexandria, if I remember correctly. Um, really? Yeah. And so I it, was a, it was just a library. No, it was associated with an institution, and it, it sort of functioned yeah. as part of the research institute that was the Grand Alexandria Academic Complex. Right. Researching the humors and what have you. Sure. Uh, they had to start somewhere. Other things that definitely don't exist. Do you ever, do you ever feel like we ought, to, we ought to figure out stuff a lot faster? Like, I get it that things... It's hard to research something. I mean, we we all know this. As people who've researched anything, yeah. you, you spend years on things, and you're like, I basically learned one thing. But at the same time, like my intuition is always like, I don't know. We probably should have figured out blood sooner. There's some things where I feel like, guys, I feel like you just didn't really want to look into it more, so you just came up with something. Uh, what's an example of that? And the geometry, the whole geometry thing, really gets me. Like, what? I can't even parse that. What do you mean? Uh, just like, for example, the discovery that if you that a circle is when you take a, a string attached to like a rod and then you move the string around the rod and that's a circle. That's bullshit. We probably knew that for a while, right? Nobody should be getting credits for that. I'm uh, so upset. I'm just really upset with ancient uh, ancient studiers of geometry. I think I think all of these all of all of this uh upsetness amplifies as soon as you go in for uh getting a, a degree in advanced research because the moment you look at what you're doing and you're like, ah, oh, if only I had been ahead of that rope and string guy, I could have just drawn a circle. <laughs> all done. Thesis done, I'm out. <laughs> Wait, I th I think we've talked about do you recall if we've talked about uh Vanderwalls at all on the podcast before? Uh, can we please? May we? So, uh, uh, studiers of high school chemistry will be aware of something called... Uh, <laughs> Scholars of high school level <laughs> chemistry. Which is like, I mean, still way above this sort of information at the Library of Alexandria. Just saying, some world wonder you are, library. I know. I know. 
know. S&P orbitals. I mean, I do feel that that's kind of crazy. We figured that one out. There's a lot of things out there that I'm also like, would not have known how to go about figuring that out. Kudos, guys. I sort of wonder. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I sort of wonder if, let's see, I don't know, if like when the printing press was invented, do you think people were like, yeah, I mean, we all had that idea. Just none of us felt like executing. Or if everyone was like, what? Yeah. You know, I think there was a lot of like, that uh, That does seem like a really good idea, but it just the logistics just seemed really overwhelming. So I didn't really want to touch it. So you're saying it was more app development and less like Schrodinger equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've all seen apps where we're like, yeah, I mean, duh. I didn't want to write it, but yeah. okay. It was like, um, oh, it's like the sound hound of inventions. Like, yeah, no, we know we needed that, but it's just like the logistics of getting it done and then doing and then the sponsoring and how Fair to enough. pay for it. Yeah. I'm, I, I want to give sound hound some <laughs> credit. That's how. Uh, anywho, as, as we continue to insult apps. Um, so Vanderwall's, um, has he he defined a real gas equation so you're familiar with the ideal gas equation correct mm-hmm. um and the ideal gas equation is named so because we do not live in an ideal world uh we ha- we live in a uh not ideal world which many a person ideally <laughs> pressure and volume are inversely related and ideally pressure and temperature are directly related right so what the <laughs> ideally Ideally. I mean, like, let's not go overboard here. But um, what this, uh, uh, what that equation that Catherine just sketched out for you uh, suggests is that you have to imagine gas as being, every molecule of gas as being just a sort of inert ball. Uh, and no matter what the gas is, it's basically the same thing. And all gases act the same. Yeah. Um, and this is how you can figure out pressures and temperatures and volumes of gases. Um it's actually like thinking them as like dimensionless points, right? Even more than balls or spheres. Right. Correct. Yeah. They're, they're dimensionless points. And that's actually really important because then what Van der Waals did in sometime in the 1800s, uh, I'm sure we'll have that in the notes, um, is he added two terms that basically account for how big are the molecules of gas and how much do they push each other away? So like... You know, do they really want to hang out with each other? Do they not? And the, there's there's a larger derivation there. Like, okay, there was some real math done. Van der Waals wasn't like a super slouch. But at the same time, when I was just like, oh, he just added two constants. And they're not even like... they're not. gets a whole force named after him? Right. And they're not even like... They're not... They're not mathematically derived constants. He just kind of goes like, well, they're probably of some size. You should try to, you know, like, figure that out. Use some... <laughs> It's like look it up for the hydro. Look the up for the 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 look up the constants for Van der Waals hydrogen gas, or the Van der Waals constant for nitrogen gas, or the Van der Waals constant for air, and you just experimentally determine these. So and 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 the thing is, the really frustrating thing is, sorry to cut you off, Tim, but Mm -hmm. I'm just really worked up about this. I my cockles are up about this one, but it doesn't even work that well. As an equation, it's not that much better than the ideal gas law. It's a little better. Gets you a little closer. 
It is not that much better, Tim, and you know it. And it's, I wish you would stop defending you. It's really not that much better. Well, and so in addition to all that, I, I could be misremembering this, but I don't think I am. Is that this is actually the discovery that Vanderwalls got his uh, PhD for? Like he got this was his thesis work was that he wrote out this equation, and he was like forty at the time. Now these are all things that are going to be fact checked and later but it just made me so mad to be like this dude dicked around in university for like 25 years and then he got this thesis done for this crap come on and that is the value of a strong public library yeah is that you can get to these things quickly (laughs) save some freaking time don't waste your life like vanderwals don't waste your life like vanderwals And with that, uh, just sage piece of advice, we're going to go a little bit out of order here, and we'll be back for a fourth bit here on Encyclopedia Brunch. I would like to renegotiate my contract. And we're back in the rarely seen fourth segment of Encyclopedia Brunch. I don't think we've ever done four segments before. Yeah, well, there's a first time for everything. This is special. Libraries are special. Okay, yeah, no, they're special. So we got to talking about uh, universities, and I don't even remember how mad we got, how we got so mad at Vanderwalls, but uh... <laughs> that sounds like us. Yeah, well, he was a jerk. Um... Oh my god! What? A... Okay. Nope, sorry. nope, nope. That's not. That was last segment. So he was working at a university, (laughs) which is a sort of private Uh reference library, which um, provides texts for people trying to... It's associated with an institution. Um, And so if you're trying to look up a certain thing or do something to further the aims of that institution, whether it be the Museum of Alexandria or, I don't know, was Vanderbilt go to University of Edinburgh or something? Uh, University of Amsterdam. um, (laughs) Alamater University of Leiden. Um, Vanderwalls, of course, he was Dutch. Okay, anyway, um, we're gonna have to retitle this Vanderwalls. Um, (laughs) Vanderwalls, colon, why he was the worst. (laughs) That guy. (laughs) Uh, and so what we started to see, there's, there's a transition period, uh, where you start to get more and more public libraries. So there were the Roman ones, and then that kind of faded away, and it became more private institutions where just, like, a person who had all their books would keep them in a place and maybe let some people come by, or maybe an institution would. And as we start to build out in the 9th century, some of the great uh, Islamic cities um, mm-hmm. called them what apparently translates to Halls of Science, uh, Dar Alim. I'm not very good at Arabic, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh... Okay. But so what I thought was interesting about that was that um, they were funded by a theocratic government, essentially. So the you know like the 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 church, the Islamic Church, would be like, right. "Hey, we should have like a place where we keep all our information," and then they had the purpose of you know like being like, "Here's your religious um, information," but also like, "Here's all the secular stuff we know," and. That got me kind of intrigued by the idea of like, well, so why are we like, why do people like libraries so much? And I think one reason 
is that e- even now, because we have the internet, we have, you know, a lot of other ways that you don't need to go to a library to get, you know, what is the Van der Waals equation? See in the notes. Um, the library, it, it's it's almost like, um, it's, and I'm willing to walk this back, but it's almost like a secular temple. Don't you think? Is that a library is like, it's a place you go to like connect with the secular knowledge we have in the same way one uh, might go no, to. I think that's extremely accurate. Um, so a couple thoughts I have. The first thing is like, I think that that, that theme, the theme of like um, a religious or theocratic governing body uh, being a huge supporter of knowledge gathering, I think holds in the Western world, world as well. Like monks are often acted as scribes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? To sort of copy books and make new books. And then you have another book and then you can transfer information more usually. A lot of the times it's Bibles, but it was also other stuff too. And I think that's important to bring up. As a total side um, note, and then have you ever seen the things where monks who are transcribing, because they're like young guys, they're like 22, they'll write in the margins how bored they are. I just think it's funny. No, that's amazing. <laughs> Every once in a while, really some old cool. text will have that on the side, just like, you know, some beautiful handwritten thing. And then on the side, it's just like, this is the worst. It's great. <laughs> that's pretty charming. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Your second point um, was... My second point was, um, so on campus, we have, uh, I go to the University of Washington and the big, the big fancy deal library is called Suzelo, and it literally looks like a church. So much so that my PI, who is from Germany and new to the university, is like, "Oh, let's go meet in the church." And I was like, "What? This is a secular campus. I don't know what you're talking about." She's, and then she like took me to Suzelo. I'm like, "Oh, okay, Suzelo, gotcha." <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other thing was that like when I was getting married and we were figuring out like, okay, where, what venue do you want, do we want to use? My husband and I, neither of us really have any religious affiliations. Um, so instead of churches, we wanted to look for institutions of knowledge uh, rather than institutions of faith um, because we thought about like knowledge as being like, we don't believe in a lot, but we do believe in the power of learning. <laughs> <laughs> Reading Rainbow did a lot for you. Uh, mm, well, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, happy Friday, y'all. Um, All right. Well, okay. In the notes is LeVar Burton's Twitter. Also, yeah, we'll put LeVar Burton's Twitter. <laughs> oh, LeVar Burton every Friday. <laughs> happy Friday, y'all. Um, no, I think there's a lot of, a lot to be said. I think in a modern sense, libraries are, are modern institutions or churches of knowledge. And I think like throughout the ages, I think it's just been a slow divergence into i mean i'm reticent to say that oh this is just another form of faith that's come up because it's a i think libraries like the church of the of knowledge is compatible with regular or other types of faith like you can be mm-hmm. christian and a big fan of libraries look at the halls of science <laughs> in ninth century uh, islamic uh, kingdoms exactly they had both exactly so no i think there's a lot a lot of truth to what you say tim is what i'm saying thank you um no it's interesting the way that so you talk about uh you know whether there's a separation you know a, a divergence in whether it's uh, uh our temples of faith versus our temples of uh, secular knowledge and i it, it actually is sort of in and out if we, if we look at the way libraries have developed there's a documentation function and then there's all sort of a knowledge spreading function for i mean i think this gets to something much much broader which is the way that uh faith and government interact 
over the centuries, which I don't think we're really prepared to cover in these closing uh, minutes of <laughs> this. But but I think I think what it does point out though is that uh, since a library has often represented both, it's that a library is a it always it doesn't always, but it often represents an institution because it takes a certain amount of power and wealth to accumulate a lot of knowledge in a single place, and whether that's done by a faith-based organization or a government or just a really rich guy because there are some public libraries. I mean, like you and I are like compared to the vast majority of humans in all of history uh, doing really well. And we maintain very small libraries. See our episode on bookshelves. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) There are some books that we own. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just thinking about how carefully I curated my public book collection. See our episode on bookshelves. Um, Oh boy. But so, so I think that's that's For interesting. All of my secrets. It's it, uh, libraries are a way that we often uh, libraries are an expression of the way that we can unify power through a bunch of people coming together, and then that comes for better uh, better results for all of us because we can all learn more. And uh, whether that's the local public library around the corner, which uh, incidentally. <laughs> Uh, was born out of subscription libraries, which were private institutions wherein you could pay a certain amount to have access. See, for instance... Yeah, I just uh, feel like it's so miraculous that libraries have maintained their status as a public institution. Well, so I think that's where we've shifted, right? Is that um, there was a time when it was really your only access to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like in Britain, that was mostly like a Victorian temperance movement thing. They were like, well, the Industrial Revolution has let these blue-collar people have a lot of free time and uh, can't have that, so we better give them books to read and stuff. So that's like the first time, <laughs> at least in at least in Britain, where uh, taxes were collected to pay for public institutions. Um, but I think where we've gone now with it, because, you know, well, the Internet's a big thing, um, there's lots and lots of ways to get information, is that libraries are still there to provide one to be sort of that temple of of secular knowledge like you just kind of go in you're like look at all these books um but then also you know a lot of libraries now provide uh internet access to anyone who walks in the door uh my local library um lets you rent computers like you can just pull out a laptop and uh take that and so yeah i mean and so that kind of maintains that mission of access for lots of people so access for information which is all the way back to where we started um, the basic use of and libraries. The other thing, really quickly, I was just going to say, the other thing I've noticed is, so I listen to also in the notes, but I listen to, or I subscribe to a newsletter, Two Bossy Danes. It's two librarians who share like their thoughts on the internet for the week, basically. And so it's introduced me to this whole cadre of librarians who feel very strongly that their job as, as librarians is being a culture facilitator. Mm. rather than a be quiet and read these books <laughs> it's their, they feel that their job is like to be aware of what's out there in media and like what's being written and what's in pop culture and also being aware of just what's out there in general and having and being able to knowing all that stuff recommend something helpful to the people who are coming to go see them at the library right which brings us full circle back to there is too much information. And these are people who are helping us find and parse it and find like basic meaning. And I, I, it's just so great. It's just so great that we have this resource. So great. But you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. All right. Well, as, as you go to find someone whose word you can take for it, that's Catherine Cogan over there. <laughs> and Tim Dobbs over here. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.